Welcome to the College Scoops podcast. I'm your host, Moira McCullough, and today we are talking with Kate Lewis about how universities are using high-impact practices to implement DEI programs. They do two things when students engage in these high-impact practices. One is that they learn and retain more, and two is that they are more likely to graduate. Each of these practices has a exponentially positive relationship with graduation and retention rates. This is the College Scoops Podcast, and I'm your host, Moira McCullough. We focus on everything college-related, from the admissions process to where to eat, stay, and explore on and around campuses. Our guests include founders, educators, authors, and experts in the college space. Join us as these experts share their knowledge, experiences, and lessons learned to help you have stress-free, informative, and tasty college journeys. Whether it's your first or last child going to college, or you're just interested in going to a college town for a game or meal, we've got you covered. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the College Scoops podcast to get the inside scoops on everything college-related, and leave us a review. Thanks to all of our sponsors, partners, and the entire College Scoops ambassador team for helping us bring valuable content to our community. If you would like to support College Scoops as a sponsor, please head over to Patreon at patreon.com slash college scoops and sign up as a sustaining listener, insider, or deluxe sponsor. We have exclusive benefits for our members and even a College Scoops care package. Kate Lewis is the founder and principal of College Search Guide and works with families to maximize student success in college and make the college planning process less stressful. She earned her Master of Education degree in Institutional Research in College Administration from Penn State University. Kate is an expert in student institutional fit, a concept which benefits students by matching their resources, aptitude, and goals to their perfect college or university. Using her skills as an institutional researcher, a data professional specializing in the study of higher education, she provides insight into colleges and universities graduation rates, and financial data. Before founding College Search Guide, Kate worked as a student affairs professional at Penn State counseling international students and LGBTQA plus students. While working at Penn State, she created a curriculum-based peer mentor program that supported diversity and inclusion. This program was driven by a five-year grant supported budget exceeding $100,000 and help students engage on campus. Kate has also provided contracted services supporting program evaluation and impact functions with the National College Advising Corps, a national nonprofit supporting college access for underrepresented student populations. When not nerding out over her higher education data, she spends her time roller skating and spending time with her family. Welcome to the College Scoops podcast, Kate. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Well, you have had quite a varied career working for universities and helping them get students more involved and get students who are traditionally feeling left out or not engaged, get them to be more active and engaged in 
campus life and in their learning. And that all leads to happy, thriving students who stay and finish and get a degree, which is really important. But how did you get involved with helping students and working at Penn State? So I started working at Penn State Hazleton, one of the smaller campuses in the northeastern part of the state about five or six years ago. They had a budget issue and we had to fix it by combining some programs together. And we needed an answer to a support issue with our international students. And also our campus was looking to build out and develop our diversity and inclusion efforts. So they said, Kate, can you do both at once? And I said, well, I guess. And I had a great time really getting to learn more about the needs of our campus. In that process, we built a a diversity and inclusion program called the LOFT or the Lions of Fusion Territory that really developed to support students who were members of the LGBTQA plus community, as well as students from other minority groups and also our international students that would come to campus. So many diverse groups with so many different needs. Like, how do you even go about doing that? Like, where do you even start? We had the really a unique opportunity where we could really lean on everybody to help everybody. Our LGBTQA students would engage the campus. Our international students would have the opportunity to engage the campus. And we all kind of work together to just continuously engage each other and keep an open dialogue and a conversation happening. The impetus for this is just student retention. Is it getting students engaged so that they are happy, fulfilling, they're engaged in the community, engaged in learning and not dropping out? not transferring and being more successful and thriving in and outside of the classroom? Yes, absolutely. Engaged students are students that ultimately go on to persist and ultimately grow on to graduate and are able to pursue successful careers. With LGBTQA students, it's important for us to identify their specific needs and and the best ways we can support those needs. And in that same breath, it's very important for us to identify the needs for our international students. They have a very unique set of needs when they come to campus and we have to be able to identify and pinpoint those needs and make sure that those students feel comfortable engaging in campus so that they can engage in campus. So what are some of the common challenges or needs that those communities are really looking for in a campus environment? Well, there's so much overlap. There's also so many very specific needs that that each group has, and they are very different. For students who are engaged through diversity, equity, and inclusion, the big need that every campus has to kind of get around is addressing that diversity, equity, and inclusion needs to be addressed in the first place. There needs to be a a campus-wide community buy-in on the issue and everybody needs to get on the boat. The other half of that is actually engaging students and getting students to engage back with us. Sometimes we do outreach and we're reaching in there and we're reaching and trying to to get students to engage. And they're saying, well, that's not really what the problem is. And it's difficult for students to in turn come back and say, this is what the problem is and this is how we need to talk about it. So when we have students not engaging, we need to get to the root of that issue and reach back out in a different way to keep that engagement flowing. Going back and you're talking about even just a campus-wide community initiative between faculty, staff, and students. Having a focus group, getting everyone together to educate people on there are certain needs and issues and concerns that our community has that we need to address. And here's how each one of us can be a part of that solution. Exactly. We need to identify each stakeholder on campus. And the big groups are it's faculty and staff, it's Mm -hmm. admissions and administration, and then also students. They have different interests and concerns, and we need to approach each of those different interests differently. Can you give some examples in terms of common 
concerns or issues that students feel that the administration needs to address or the community needs to be more aware of? A big one for students is feeling represented and feeling safe about being represented on campus. This especially goes for LGBTQA students, but just being able to be there, not necessarily be out. I think there's this misconception that a lot of students who are part of the LGBTQA community, they want to be out on campus. Maybe they're not ready yet. Maybe they're still working through where they are in their lives. It's creating an environment that's both supportive and safe, but also meeting students where they're at. In terms of international students, what were some of the common struggles that they have that universities have to be better at recognizing and creating an infrastructure that can support them? I think it's easier and more challenging to support international students. And part of that reason is there's a lot of framework in place that we already really know about. And it's not necessarily easy to address, but it's easy to identify and then figure out a solution too. So it's very rudimentary stuff. Housing, where are students going to How are they going to manage their finances? Who are they going to talk with? Who are they going to chat to if they have a problem? Literally, who speaks their language? That cannot be stated enough. And then also who understands the bigger parts of their culture and how that meshes with Western culture. You mentioned that Hazleton was a smaller campus, a satellite campus of Penn State, which is a huge, huge university. So is it something where there were other programs in place at the other campuses that you guys were trying to basically roll out to the satellite campus or? Because it's such a big, big university, we're unique. We have the university-wide programs that are set up to support students on a broader level. And then there's the day-to-day of it, which is what our campus would handle. And that's what we really hone in and focus on day-to-day needs of our students. Not that we have to reinvent the wheel, but sometimes we have to readdress things that are kind of fundamental because no group of students or no singular student is the same. And we don't always have students from the same countries every year. Most recently, we had a large cohort of students that came to us from India. Most of them were from the same part of India, but not all of them. India is a very diverse country. Not everybody has the same religious beliefs, the same political affiliations. India is not a monolith. Right down to the food that our students eat. As a Western culture, we like meat. We like like carbs. We like sugar. We don't like spicy vegetables here, but that's going to be part of what the campus menu is now to help support those students and make sure that they feel included and just that they have proper nutrition. It's really hard to be a student who is doing well and focusing when you're worried about what is my next meal going to be? Am I going to have to eat Rice Krispies again? Fit body, fit mind and getting the sleep that you need, getting the food that you need, the nutrition and working out so that you feel strong mentally and physically. Can you share a little bit about assimilation? and trying to get students, first of all, talking and recognizing and communicating what exactly their needs are so that you're not trying to roll out a program that doesn't meet the needs of the stakeholders. I think a big part of getting there is getting stakeholders, including fellow students, including faculty members, to realize that there's assimilation and then there's acclimation. In in higher ed, when professionals work with international students, those are two big words that sometimes get overlooked and a little over-confused. Educate us on the differences and kind of how they get this represented. So with assimilation, we're becoming part of that culture. We're saying we're not going to be British anymore. We're going to be American. We're going to do things the American way. We're not going to try to incorporate tea drinking into our daily routine. It's coffee only. Over simplified example, with acclimation, it's living in a new different culture, still respecting the other parts of your life and your culture and figuring out how to make those two identities work. I think a lot of times in a, a kind of a patriotic Western way, we say this is America. This is how we do it here. 
get with the program, that doesn't create a welcoming environment. If you have your friend over and you want to make them feel like they're welcome in your home, you don't talk to them like that. You want to create an environment that is welcoming and and understands who they are and, and welcomes them in in that way. There's different steps that you take in terms of gathering that information from the student community and then trying to put a program in place. Did you find that there's certain times of the year where it's more challenging and the needs are greater than they are at other times of the year? Oh, absolutely. When students first get to campus, it's completely overwhelming, especially for for first-year students. We don't often get first-year students coming directly to campus. Oftentimes, they are second-year students from their country. It can be very overwhelming. They literally just moved. You just moved, you're unpacking, you're trying to get your bank account set up. You don't have a cell phone yet. You haven't talked to your mom in 48 hours or maybe a week. She's probably calling, trying to figure out what the heck is going on. Did you make it? And on top of all that, you got to get to class. Then you've got Kate in the diversity inclusion office saying, Hey, what do you need? That's not the question you want Kate to ask. You want Kate to say, you know, I'm glad that you're here. This is the information that we have available to you. What do you need? But specifically, what is it that you need? Do you need, you know, help getting something particular setup? Do you need help finding where your dorm is? All of those little specific details, those are the questions that we look to answer for students. We try to do a good job with that in new student orientation and international new student orientation to work through those problems. But sometimes it's like drinking from a fire hose. We can provide that information to students, but there's going to be a lot of follow-up questions. Absolutely. And I think when you said too, if it's dealing with transfer students coming in, they may have missed the traditional orientation that occurs on a larger level. So how can you create other smaller events where you have your support system coming into place that could ask those questions and support those students along the way? I'm sure that there's plenty of student-led organizations that exist, and that is also trying to get that leadership team out to help the newcomers and students. So for international students, we do encourage them to form clubs that are specifically geared towards international students as a cohort. We also try to ensure that they engage in new student orientation. A lot of colleges will have a specific international student, new student orientation. And another step that a lot of colleges have in place is a high impact practice is called a first year seminar. Almost every college in this country, I'm sure, has implemented some sort of first year seminar at this point. They are awesome programs, but they're designed to find out how to college. And it's important that we share those same programs with our international students. I just reflect back, they never existed when we were going to school, but now it's like, you're right. Everyone does it. And although freshmen will push back or just say, oh, this is such a waste of time. They actually are so valuable in terms of, you said it perfectly, how to college and what are some of the support systems in place that are there. When you look at student retention too, I'm sure that factors in for the benefit of universities engaging and creating these programs, because that's only going to help their students, as we said, you know, thrive and finish school. There's one thing about getting into school, but there's another with how do you keep students in school that are successful in graduating and hopefully four or five years? Yes. So a a lot of what colleges and universities are really implementing at this point are called high impact practices. They're studied tactics that we use to make sure that students make it past their freshman year, past their sophomore year, into their junior and senior years to get to the finish line. And it really, on a statistical level, when colleges use these tactics, we see their retention levels just skyrocket. Can you share some of those tactics with us? First year seminar programs, it goes through how to speak with your professor, how to manage your day-to-day life, scheduling. That's a big thing for first year students, just managing your own time. That's a huge deal. Um, How to do your laundry, all these little kind of more elementary things 
a lot of students roll their eyes and, and with good reason. We cover a lot of things that they likely already know how to do, but it also gets into more nuance with running your life. And it also gets into more kind of philosophical approaches to higher education. Why are you here? What are your mm-hmm. plans? There's a lot of intensive writing that takes place in these courses. Students really do try to roll their eyes at that because you don't want to have to sit down and write down the fluffy reasons. You, you know why. Why do I have to right. write it down? It's important that we write it down because we can reflect on it later. That's why. Another high impact practice that a lot of colleges are implementing are undergraduate research. That's something okay. I wish I felt as a student. It's literally getting to work with faculty members as a student to do research. This is something that not all colleges offer. A lot of them do, but not all of them do. And it's the ability to sit down and go through the scientific method to set up a research project as an assistant with a faculty member. This is huge because it gets students really invested in what they're learning, engaged in what they're studying, and ultimately sets them up either for their career move after they graduate or graduate school if that's what they choose to pursue. It's one area that I did not take advantage of, Kate, just as you said, I wish I had. It would have narrowed the focus and allowed people to find out what they like and what they don't like. And that's half the battle, I think, with not knowing and having that confusion or uncertainty about what you're studying and why you're there. And kind of something that goes hand in hand with undergraduate research is a capstone project, another high impact practice. And capstones are usually the research projects that students do individually. They then have to present on. And a third kind of overlap high impact practice, there's a lot of overlap with all of these, is an e-portfolio where they publish that information. They publish the research, they share it, it gets reviewed by their peers, not necessarily in a peer review setting like we would see in an academic journal, but their fellow students, one and reviewers too, have the ability to give them feedback, not just their teachers and their professors. Another high impact practice is in internships, a lot of programs might do an either or situation where you do an internship or a capstone project because both are very intensive. Both require a lot of writing and reflection on their experiences. And that's totally separate above and beyond from like the career center and what they have in terms of programs or initiatives that they work on. Yes, this would be completely separate from a like a co-op or a program that the university has set up for like on-campus recruiting. This would be credit-based. Students are doing this internship for credit. They're going to have to report for their internship. And then they have to sit back and reflect and learn and share what they're learning through writing about their internship. Are there advisors that these students are then paired with that are focused on helping the specific student groups get acclimated? Yes, absolutely. Virtually every high impact practice will have a dedicated advisor that the student's going to work with and have to engage with to work through that process. It promotes that high level of engagement between a faculty member or a specialized staff member, like a student affairs person or an academic affairs person to work through to bring that project or that initiative to a completion. Another big kind of tie-in for all high-impact practices is students have to write for them. This is something that I think almost all students hate unless they're English majors. I'm not an English major. I I never could be. All high-impact practices incorporate some sort of reflective writing where students have to make sense of what they've learned. It's that sense-making that helps students retain information, process it, and then share it. And in terms of what universities are doing too, once they implement these types of plans, they see the student retention, they see the student engagement numbers increase. And as a result, just prove that with this type of formula, program, support group in place, that students will... They do two things when students engage in these high impact practices. One is that they learn and retain more. And two 
is that they are more likely to graduate. Each of these practices has a exponentially positive relationship with graduation and retention rates. Anything different about LGBTQA? Anything that we should be addressing in terms of helping those students? I mean, we talk about it so much and then it's like, there are certain universities that you're like, okay, if we can aspire to that organization, business or higher ed institution, that's what is the goal that we have. The biggest takeaway that we should have is to really create an environment where conversations can happen. It should be a safe environment, but it should also be an environment where uncomfortable conversations can happen for people who aren't necessarily on board. If we can't have those conversations, there's not going to be a broader buy-in. So it's important that we have conversation that goes two ways. It's important that we have students feel that they can share their thoughts and concerns, but it's also important for people to come back and say, okay, we can figure out a way to do this, but we also, we have questions about how we're going to do this. It goes to every type of mediation that you hear in any type of town, community, whether it's higher education, business, or just your own living community in terms of acknowledging that other people's concerns, requests, and having that free-flowing dialogue where you can agree to disagree, but also communicate there's problems. What are the different solutions that we can work together? And is it realistic? I will say on a national political level, over the last, using 2016 as a marking point, but that may or may not be correlated with an election. It's been difficult to have these conversations. Faculty and staff and administrators aren't quite as open to having these conversations, not because they don't care. They very, very, very much care, but it's because it's difficult for us because we've kind of forgotten how to. It's difficult because we don't want to create an environment where people feel unsafe. It's because we don't want to create an environment where people become offended. But also sometimes when we talk about these topics, they might be a little offensive. And that's why it's important for us to have those conversations. In order for us to move forward, it's like you have to have open communication and conversations where you may say something in a way that does offend somebody, but it's how you react to that and how you can then bring that so that there's a greater understanding as a whole and how you can work together to try to make it an environment where everyone can live, learn, and grow together. And it's important that we, I mean, we're going to live, we're going to learn, we're going to grow together, but we also have to coexist. We have to acknowledge that we're in this together and be able to move forward and continue to grow through that. Exactly. So what a charge. That was your charge at Penn. And now you continue to help students find a place that they can call home. So good for you. Yes, I love it. I love working directly with students and families and getting them set up to just be ready for the next step in college. Well, I think with your background too, you've seen it from an administrative and institutional level. So now it's like trying to help students, you know, all the questions to ask, you know, who to ask, where to go to find those answers. So it's a really valuable resource of information that you have to impart to students and families. We always like to ask our guests, what do you wish you knew before you attended college? I wish I knew how cool faculty members are and that they're real people. I was a first generation college student. I was not a good high school student. And I was always like, oh, that teacher knows I didn't turn it paperwork. Now they're mad at me. High school, they probably are mad at you. But in college, they don't care. They've realized you have a life, you've got something going on and you can reach out to them and they want you to reach out to them. They want you to talk and have a dialogue. I won't go as far as to say that they want you to be their friend. They don't, but they do want you to look at them as somebody that you can trust and you can respect and that they also trust you and they respect you and they want you to learn. And they know that that's not always cookie cutter, cut and dry. There's some shades of gray that you can reach out to them with. You know what? It's a lost opportunity because I did not do that 
that either. And if, if I had my chance to go back in time, I know exactly who I would run up to. And just that door was open for a reason. There are people and teachers like to have conversations. And I think sometimes taking the couple minutes beforehand to, you know, ask about them as people or what did you do this weekend? Or those are the little nuggets of information and conversations that you have that will share light into their lens and what they like. And you might, like you said, you don't need a friend, but having a mentor that somebody could help you along the way or have your back is really important throughout college. When they ask you to come to office hours, that doesn't mean please come to the principal's office. It means please let's talk about this. They want to help you. And I I think I can speak for everybody in higher ed. We get just absolutely jacked up when students come to talk to us. We are so excited to sit down and talk with you. We really, really enjoy it. Go in there when you don't have an assessment, go in there when you don't need help or just test a bigger question to be curious about. Maybe it's a course that you might want to take in the future or what they would recommend in terms of life on campus or questions like that, that one might have. Absolutely. Don't be afraid to go in there when you know what you're doing. That will make it easier when you need to go in because you don't know what you're doing. Exactly. We're all about food here. Any food locations on your college visits that you've had or at Penn that you would say, don't leave campus without trying? I have two. They're not at where my heart is, Penn State Hazleton. They're both at Penn State University Park. One is the Berkey Creamery right on campus. You can only get one flavor at a time. They will not double scoop you. You have Um, to be thoughtful about that choice. It's a commitment. They will give you samples, but you're going to have to commit to one. I don't have a favorite. Chocolate is always good. They have a vanilla bean that's very good. My second favorite place, if you happen to be in town in State College, it's called Old New York. It's a German-American restaurant. You will need a DD, not because of the beer, but because the schnitzel, it's going to put you right to sleep. (laughs) Heavy, delicious, fantastic. Old New York. That's what it's called. All right. I'm all over that. All over that. I love a good schnitzel. (laughs) Kate, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Kate, for taking the time to speak with us today. Colleges and universities are working hard to launch DEI programs that meet the needs of all the stakeholders. It is not easy, and there will always be challenges. Implementing programs such as the first-year seminars, freshman orientation, and high-impact practices are several examples of how institutions are trying to meet their goals while creating an environment where students will thrive not only in the classroom but outside of the classroom. You can find all of our show notes and links to the helpful resources mentioned throughout our conversation on our website at collegescoops.com slash podcast. You can learn more about Kate and College Search Guide on their website, collegesearchguide.com. Please take a couple minutes to rate, review, and subscribe to College Scoops. Thank you for listening to our College Scoops podcast. Our entire College Scoops team strives to make the college journey a little bit easier, less stressful, fun, and tasty by sharing all the inside scoops we have curated along the way. We would love to hear from you about topics to cover and your ideas on everything college related. Reach out to us at collegescoops.com or follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook.